You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. So today we start Lent. Last Wednesday, Wednesday night was uh, Ash Wednesday. We started off with a great Bible study, by the way. Or actually, it's it's not even a Bible study; it's a book study on the uh, on the uh, uh, um, reclaiming church uh, and looking at what that means, why it's important. Because um, you know, Barna tells us that we have we have really hit some hard times here, um, not just at Faith Church, but everywhere. Uh, every church is facing some some questions, and, and this is a good time to be alive because it's asking some very important questions. Why do we do what we do? And those are good questions to ask. And so if you want to join that, 7 o'clock on Wednesday night. I want to begin this series with us imagining for a minute. Don't fall asleep on me. But just imagine having someone of an expert tell you something that you are interested in. For instance, can you imagine if Michael Jordan taught you how to play basketball? Now, if you don't know basketball, you won't know who Michael Jordan is. But I I grew up watching Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was awesome. I can remember times when he dropped 60, 70 points in a game. It It was just truly phenomenal. But can you imagine having a Michael Jordan or today a Kobe Bryant or he passed away, but, you know, other people who would teach us the game of basketball? It'd be powerful. Or maybe it's, and I'm, I'm, I'm aging myself because I don't know who the baseball players are these days, but Nolan Ryan teaching you how to pitch a baseball. Nolan Ryan was one of the greatest pitchers in, in the major leagues, and, and he could throw over 100 miles per hour, his fastball. And, and could you imagine being a pitcher and learning from Nolan Ryan? Now, this name may surprise you because I have no clue who this person is. I actually, I know him by his picture, but I don't know. I I don't watch the cooking shows. Um, uh, I let that to other people to watch those. But um, Wolfgang Puck, um, teaching you how to cook. Apparently, he's a very good chef. Um, I don't know. But can you imagine if you were under his tutelage? Someone who, when you look in Google, who are the best chefs in America? He's ranked number two. Um, can you imagine learning from him how to cook? Well, let's look at the context of Matthew chapter 6. I believe this may be on the screen. It might not be. But in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 2, it says these words. And, and Pastor Landon read these for you, but I want to reread them. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say. Now, here's, what I, here's the point under this. It'll fly up on the screen. This is literally Jesus teaching you and I how to pray. This is God himself saying to his disciples who have asked him now, how do we pray? What is it that we're supposed to do when we pray? So this is the context. Even in Matthew, it doesn't say this in the beginning of Matthew, but they're they're a connected story, so you can understand that. So in Luke chapter 11, they give us the context. The context is, is that here is Jesus. And I don't know about you, but there is no one on the face of the earth that I want to learn to pray from more than Jesus himself. There just just isn't. 
I mean, I've known some pretty big prayer warriors and, and some people who really got it down pat and they can do it really well and, and they, 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 they seem to connect on levels that I wish I could. But here's Jesus. God himself. Saying to his disciples, you want to know how to pray? Here's how you pray. And so what that does is it, it ratches up the Lord's Prayer. And what I mean by that is, is that the Lord's Prayer is just not another prayer. And I also mean, and I'll say this later, it shouldn't be just muttered. You know, there are times in ministry when people will say, you know, can, can I make a suggestion? And, and I do like suggestions from time to time, <laughs> um, uh, depending on what that suggestion is. But there's times when people say, we never say the Lord's Prayer. Can I, can I be honest with you? Because I've seen it done where it's done every week, and then the people just say it out of the memory of their heads, and they don't really mean what they're saying. It's like the doxology. I grew up singing the doxology when we used to collect. Remember, pre-COVID, we collected the offering um, in offering plates. Um, we, we used to sing the doxology afterwards. Do you know it wasn't until I went to my very first church that I understood the words of the doxology and I sang them for 21 years straight every Sunday? And putting it on a PowerPoint so that my church, could, my church at that time could sing it I started to read the words and I started to say, holy smokes, these are huge. 21 years of singing it. Oh, pastor asked us to stand. Let's sing the song. The same thing can happen with the Lord's Prayer. And what the Lord is saying here is this, this is important. Here's the model I want you to pray, Jesus said. When you pray this, or use it as a model to pray, you don't need to wonder, am I praying how God wants me to pray? Isn't that sometimes our battle? What do I pray? What do I say? Didn't I just say I was, I was kind of quiet this week with, with my prayer time because I didn't know how to pray? Well, I was thankful that we were in this series because Jesus showed it to me right off the bat, right off the bat, as soon as I started studying it. This is why I said what I said, Brett. It's that important. It's a model. It's to show you how you're supposed to approach him in prayer. It's, it's very important. The early church father, Cyprian, said these words. Jesus himself gave us a form of praying. Now, now, now let me just stop right here. And let me just say that Cyprian's going to say some very strong words. We're going to correct those strong words in a minute. But I, I want to say it before we get there. Jesus himself gave us a form of praying. He himself advised and instructed us as to what we should pray for. What can be more spiritual prayer than that which was given to us? So to pray in another way than he, what he, Jesus, taught is not merely ignorance, it's sin. For he himself has established, you reject the commandments of God so that you may keep your own traditions. Therefore, let us pray as God our teacher has taught us. How much more effectively do we obtain what we ask in Christ's name if we ask it for, for it in his own prayer? 
Now let me be clear. Cyprian, when you study him as a, as a church father, he is very clear that he's not against using books to, to kind of lead in prayer. What he's saying here is, is that we, we, we have people who want to stick to their traditions, want to stick to the way they do it, and then they, 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 they somehow get to this point where they don't know how to do it any longer. And what he's trying to say to the people of his day and age is, listen, folks, Jesus gave you the model for a reason. And if you want to be like the Pharisees and stick to, the, stick to your old ways and do it your old way, you, you can certainly do that. But please understand that you are losing something in prayer when you do that. And so Cyprian, this, this church father, this early church father, says that we should not completely and utterly ignore this prayer over and over again, but to look at it. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to break down each section, and um, the next two weeks I'll handle, and then Pastor Land is going to jump in for a week, and then I'll jump back in. Um, but we're going we're gonna to kind of look at each section as we go. Because there's, there's seven things that, that, are, that are powerful in this prayer. Here's the first section. Our Father in heaven. Go ahead, throw it up there on the screen. The Greek actually says just Father. This is the use of the word, and, and you may have heard of this word. It's the use of the word Abba. And so what Jesus is saying is, is that when we come to the Father... And, and, and here's the closest translation to Abba in the English language, Daddy. Daddy. And so what Jesus is saying is, is that, you know, it's like, it's like after a long day, and I come home and I plop in my recliner and I hit the button that brings the recliner up. Yes, I have one of those recliners since heart surgery. And... Serenity crawls in my lap and says, Daddy, let me tell you about my day. That's the picture that Jesus is giving to his disciples. Would you crawl up on your father's lap and tell him about your day? And men... I know it's really hard for us red-blooded Americans to get this. Get it. Because your daddy wants you to. Get it. He wants you to crawl up on his lap. He wants to have a personal conversation with you. And so Jesus starts with this word, Abba, and it, it means daddy. The first thing this prayer does is set the boundaries of which it can be prayed. And here's, the, here's a point that will be on the screen. To pray this prayer, you must have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, in a world that's all-inclusive, this is hard to accept. And, and, and as the world spins, we get more and more all-inclusive. We, we, can't, we can't limit who can do what and... I'm very sorry, but um, I'm actually not sorry. 
I take my commands from this. I don't take it from what the world says needs to happen. And so when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he is the way, the truth, and the life. There ain't no other way, truth, and life other than him. And so what Jesus is saying to us is, listen, folks, if you want to pray this prayer and if you want to have powerful impact, it starts with this relationship with Jesus Christ before anything else. Before anything else. Now, I realize that flies in the face of some people because they say, you know, well, I know people who are not saved that pray and all this stuff, and I get it, I get it, I get it. You, you know, when we start putting family and friends in front of us and we start thinking about their actions, and then we want to fight against the scriptures because, you know, well, this just, this just, just couldn't be true. Let's remember who Jesus is talking to here. He's not talking to to this big, large crowd, the disciples have asked him a very specific question. How is it that we as disciples, learners, people who have a relationship with you, how is it that we are to pray? And so he's answering that question. He's not answering the question from a non-saved person who is out there that is asking, how is it that we are to pray? He's asking the question, Faith Church, to those of you that are in this room today that have a personal walk with him. He's answering the question for you this morning. And, and I realize that this, 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 this to totally in 2022, this is not a very popular message. Because everybody gets in. Everybody's got a shot. Everybody's got this. Everybody's, no, that's not the way it is. You see, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is simply put, is you opening the gift Yes, he died. Yes, he did all those things that we're going to celebrate in a couple of weeks in Easter season. He did all of those things. But you still have to respond to it. Just because he took care of it doesn't mean everybody gets in. It's those of us that have opened the gift and responded to it. Now, you can, def you can try, to, try to, you know, make it a worst case or another scenario by, by getting into arguments about what does it look like to have a relationship with Jesus and all these things. Listen, I'm not, I'm not here to debate that. What I'm here to say is, is that I'm here to say the Bible's pretty clear. When you have said that you are a sinner and you admit that you are a sinner and you believe unto the Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and you confess your sins to him says you're saved. I'm not here to debate the what does that look like, what does that, no, no. Let's get to the bare bones because here, friends, is where it's very important. It's very important because it affects everything from this point forward. You'll see it in just a minute. You don't see it now, but you'll see it. You'll see it. Obviously, one must be able to call God the Father in order to pray and have a relationship where God, in fact, is their daddy. Right? I mean, I, I can't crawl up on his lap and ask a prayer and call him Father if I have no relationship with him. That'd be like if someone was walking their dog right now on on 4th Avenue. Lord, I hope there's not. But, um, um, and, and, and the windows were open, and, I, and it was a guy. 
And I called him into the sanctuary, and I just started calling him my dad. Can you imagine the looks that I would get? Dude, I don't know who you are. What are you talking about? I'm your dad. Same thing goes for the father. So let's set the groundwork here that the very first thing that is very important is a relationship with Jesus Christ, period. Because without that, we're going to miss the whole point of this prayer. And let me just say that if you are not there yet, I am only a phone call away or a talk away to share how you can come into a relationship with him. But we move on. Who art in heaven? Here's what our next. This is the balance between the intimacy of our father and his majesty and sovereignty. And so what's going on here is, is that Jesus is saying, first and foremost, I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want a relationship with me, not me, Brett, but him, Jesus Christ. And second of all, I want there to be a respect, an honor to his name. And so what Jesus means by who art in heaven, and I did miss some words on this, but in heaven is, the, is, the, is the, where, the, where the emphasis is put in the Greek. And so what, what is being said here is, is that Jesus wants us to understand that, yes, there's an intimacy to the Father. But he also wants us to understand that if he, choose, if he chooses to, he could blow us right off that lap. And we don't like to talk about that because we want to talk about the intimacy. We want to be able to say, he's my father who I can crawl up on. But if he chooses to, he doesn't have to give us our next breath. And that's the balance between our father, the intimacy of our father, and the majesty and the sovereignty of God the Father. And so he wants us to be reminded where he resides because where he resides shows us how majestical he is. But let me define sovereignty for you before we go too far. Here's what sovereignty is according to the Baker Compact Dictionary of Theological Terms. The divine attribute of being all-powerful as king and lord who exercises supreme rule over all creation. That's sovereignty. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says to his disciples, to those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, yes, he is a very intimate father. Yes, he wants you to be on his lap. Yes, he wants you to come to him in love. But he also wants you to understand that there is a respect that comes with his name because he is sovereign, because he could blow us all off of this earth. He could make the choice to not use us, but he chooses to use us in spite of us. So there's this wrestling match. And here's the problem in today's world, and, and this is not in my notes, but I feel like the Lord is telling me to say this. And I could be totally wrong, but I'm going to go down this rabbit trail and I'm going to jump right back on the trail. The problem in the world is, is that we've made him this intimate father. Or we've made him this horrible old man grandfather who just yells and screams at his kids. 
that honestly, when I talk to my unsaved friends, here's, here's what they are. They're either on this side where he's just this loving father. Everybody gets in. We don't have to respond to him. We can live a life of sin. It's okay, Brett. Don't worry about it. You, you, what you preach on Sunday morning is so not true, Brett. God is, God is love. He loves everyone. He loves me. And so I'm getting in even though I live far from him. Or they're on this side of the story where, well, that man, that God, he hates everybody. I don't even know how I could even get in if I wanted to get in because he's just an old, grumpy old man. And he takes it out on all of us. That's why Ukraine is happening. That's why Putin is in charge in Russia. I, I hear it from my unsafe friends. What kind of good God, what kind of good God would allow this to happen? There's no one in the middle. It's because that's where we're supposed to reside, church. We're supposed to be the middle where we understand that he is a compassionate God and he loves all people who will come to know his name. But we also understand that at any moment he can say, I'm done, and it's done. How are we doing standing in the middle? It's a tough place to be. I, I, I'll be honest with you, you know, you, your friends start pulling you this way and you start saying, well, you know, you got a point. No, 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 they don't. And so here's the drive of Jesus in bringing this to our attention and to his disciples' attention. When you pray, you make sure you're understanding that God is one of the following things. Here's what, or as I have in your outline this morning, in question form, when you pray, is God here? Here we go. Number one, is he all-powerful? I mean... Josh McDowell puts it this way, God merely spoke the universe into being. We are talking to a God when we pray that a universe of astronomers, a people of astronomers have tried to figure out how did it get made and we're still arguing about it thousands of years later. Astronomers estimate that the universe contains more than 100 billion galaxies, but all the power contained in this entire universe is but a small representation of the unlimited power of the God that you pray to every day. The combined energy of all of Earth's strong storms, winds, ocean waves, and other forces of nature do not equal even a fraction of God's almighty power. When you go to the beach, don't we look forward to beach days? <laughs> when you go to the beach, watch those waves crash and just imagine that the God you're worshiping this morning, the God that you pray to, that is in even a fraction of the power that he has. Not even a fraction. The combined energy of all of our... our David wrote these words in Psalm 8, verses 3 through 4. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have set in place, what are, more, more, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should even care for them? 
No matter what you might be facing, God can help you. Nothing is too hard for him. Do you pray to that all-powerful God? Now, I don't want the Sunday school answer. The quick answer is always, yeah, of course I do, Pastor. No, no, do you pray to the all-powerful God? Do you believe that he has the solution to the issue that is facing our country and other countries today? Do you believe that he could fix it with just a snap of his finger? That's the all-powerful God that we are talking about when we come to our Father who art in heaven. Just like that. It's taken care of. God is ever-present. We have the presence of Almighty God living inside of us. And on, on your sermon outline, there's a big word that's next to all of these, most of these, and that's the theological word for it. This is called omnipresence. The Apostle Paul wrote, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? You know he's going to be with you at the restaurant where you go after this? He doesn't just reside here. You know he's with you at the house where you live? He doesn't just reside here. Number three, all merciful. God is the master of mercy. His very nature desires to relieve you uh, of, your, of the self-imposed misery and distress you experience because of your sin. All humanity benefits from God's mercy to some degree. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when, we pre when I preached from Matthew chapter 5? What did he say? He gives the sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends the rain to both those who are just, who have a relationship with him, and those who are unjust, who do not have a relationship with him. He's all merciful. Is that the God you pray to? Last, he's a provider. Jehovah Jireh is the Old Testament name for God, meaning that God provides. Do we pray to a God who provides? It, it, they're rhetorical questions, but they're, they're powerful questions because you know what I've understood? Boy, I keep God in a little box every once in a while. You certainly couldn't do this, God. And I may never say it verbally, but what I pray shows it. Here's a question to consider this morning. And, and those lists, that list of all merciful, all powerful, let me just say that that's just, that's not even all of them. When you talk about the characteristics of God, you're in the numbers of about 20 to 25 characteristics of God himself. I have only hit just a little bit of it. Do you pray like he's all-powerful, ever-present, all-merciful, sovereign, provider, eternal? Is he just? Is he righteous? The list goes on and on throughout Scripture. I may not agree with all of his theology, but R.C. Sproul knocked it out of the park when he said something like this. I think the greatest weakness in the church today is that almost no one believes that God invests his power in the Bible. 
Everyone is looking for power in a program, a methodology, a technique, in anything and everything but that in which God has placed it, his word. He alone has the power to change lives for eternity, and that power is focused on the scriptures. Let's go get the newest fad. If we could just build a program Here's an idea. How about we just do what he said to do? If we could just get that down pat. That's the call of Jesus in this prayer. And it goes on. Then here comes the first petition of the prayer. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Here's what hallowed be, hallowed be your name means. I'm, gonna, I'm glad I don't have to preach on this again. To treat with the highest honor. That's the goal of hallowed be your name. To treat with the highest honor. In essence, this is the first three Ten Commandments. They'll be on the screen. Um, yeah, in very small oiler. Um, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any idols in the form of anything. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. That's the power behind how it would be your name. In other words, God's words, God's, God's name should not be coming out of your mouth every time that you don't pray. That's where we start with prayer. Understanding that this name that you're about to pray for controls the waves at Ocean City, Maryland, as well as the Pacific Ocean. Understanding the name you're about to pray to controls everything from this church to every church across this land and across this world. Understanding that this name is not something that we should just use out of habit. No, this name is to be hallowed. It is to be honored. It is to be privileged to say his name in prayer. That's the call of Jesus here. And he says, listen, the third commandment has been such a big deal in Israel. For those in Israel, in fact, they rarely utter the name of Yahweh because they hold it in reverence. In other words, you won't walk down the... You won't be walking down the streets of Israel watching Israel like kick something and go, Yahweh! Why is that? Because they have the uttermost honor of God's name. Scribes would not write out the whole word. And even to today, I can tell you, Michelle has a Jewish friend who when she writes out Yahweh, she puts dashes in because she doesn't want to write his whole name in case she's doing it disrespectful. Even today, they don't. A special pen to write Yahweh was used back in that day. And when they used it and they were done using it and after it was done being written in Yahweh, they broke the pen and they threw it in the, tr they threw it in the trash 
Why? Because Yahweh is honored. You don't just throw this name around. This is, this is huge. The word Yahweh is what is translated in your Bibles, if you, if you have one that does this. I think most of them do nowadays. But um, if you ever see Lord in all capital letters, you can assume that they're using the word Yahweh. It's a way of showing special treatment and honor. Important point, not on your outline. The goal here is to honor his name in our prayers, especially as we submit to his power and his authority. Can you catch that? Listen, there's ways to honor his name, and, and if you struggle with using it like it's going out of style, that's one thing, but there's other ways to use to show that you honor his name, like following what he's asked you to do. Like saying that I'm going to put myself under the hand of his authority, and I'm going to understand that I don't make all wise decisions from time to time. But when I don't make a wise decision, I'm going to ask him to forgive me for it. Because I care that I just broke the heart of God. See, this is the call of Jesus in hallowed be your name. He's saying, disciples, you want your prayer life to take off? And can I tell you that what every commentary that I read, and I read about six of them to get this sermon put together, and I don't say that arrogantly. I just want you to understand this is a six of the greatest minds that read the Greek and put out things. Here's what every one of them said. This is the most important directive of the entire prayer right here. Hallowed be your name. If you don't hallow his name, you can check out for the next six. He says, Jesus comes out of the gate firing. And he says to his disciples, look, disciples, do you pray to a God who can do all things, who is nothing is impossible? And we can see where the disciples struggle with that, right? Can I give you just a real quick example? How about feeding of 5,000? Jesus looks around, he says, feed these people. Now, now, if they're praying and if they're seeking the Lord, what should be their first response? Well, with God, all things are possible. You know what the, the disciples do? They kind of they freak out, right? Then they find this boy with this little lunch, and, and they come to Jesus, and you can see where their faith is. Because you know what they say to Jesus when they find the lunch and they come back to Jesus? They say, we found a little boy who has these fish and these loaves, and, and so here it is. I don't know what you can do with all this. Wait, wait a second. What he can do with just a couple of fish and some loaves or whatever, like, disciples, you know who you're talking to? And here's what, that's, what that gives hope to. Maybe you're like them today in 2021, 2022. Maybe you're like them. I'm not sure what you can do with Ukraine and Russia. I'm not sure how you're going to change America. 
I'm not sure what you're going to do with this. What Jesus is saying is, is, please, please understand that you need to hallow his name. You need to understand that when you are approaching him, you are approaching the all-powerful, almighty God of the universe who just said, let there be light. Boom, the sun was made. And the moon was made. Let there be this. Boom, it came into existence. You're praying to the same father whose son stood on a boat with a bunch of disciples that were scared out of their minds. Waves were hitting everywhere. And all he simply says is, be calm. No more waves. And he hasn't changed. He hasn't changed one bit. So what is it that you have done with the name of God? Have you reverenced reverenced his name? Have you prayed with his power and strength in mind? Dr. Tony Evans puts it this way, to know God's name is to experience his nature, and that level of intimacy is reserved for those who humbly depend on him. Again, those, this is reserved for those who depend on him, have a relationship with him. God will not share his glory with another. He will, we, most, we must humble ourselves if we really want to know him. We must realize our insignificance before we can re- recognize the significance that comes only through him. And then this last sentence blew my mind last week. We are to hollow his name and his name alone. You don't know his names until you forget about your own name. In other words, until you remove all of yourself, you will not understand how powerful, how big, how strong God's name is. Mm. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 